Welcome to Think Like an Owner, a show exploring how the most ambitious CEOs grow great companies. I'm your host, Alex Bridgman. Each week, I dive into the strategies and tactics that build transformative businesses with the operators doing it firsthand. You can learn more about the guests and the companies they are building by visiting us at tlaopodcast.com. There, you will also find our weekly newsletter that further analyzes how companies are finding success today. Lastly, if you enjoy Think Like an Owner, please share this podcast with a peer and leave us a review. Today's episode was recorded live in late April 2023 at SM Bash in Austin, Texas, with my boss, Clayton Collins, CEO of HW Media. We open up talking about how the role came together, but for a short preview, I took a chief of staff role with HW Media in March 2022 to help build a media and data company in the housing industry. It's been an exciting journey with a steep learning curve that I'm thoroughly enjoying. In the episode, we talk about acquiring within your industry, the acquisition journey at HW Media, the case for acquisitions as a complement to organic growth, what a bad acquisition looks like, and so much more. This event is fantastic for all those looking to pursue entrepreneurship through acquiring a company, and I hope to see you all at next year's event. Please enjoy this live episode with Clayton Collins. One of the most impactful things our CEO guests have talked about doing for their companies is upgrading their finance team. Ravix Group, led by CEO and former podcast guest Timmy Oka, is the expert you need to build a scalable finance function. They can handle everything from fractional CFO work, HR consulting, and outsourced accounting. Ravix can even help your company prepare for an IPO, if that's an ambition of yours. To get in touch with Timmy and Ravix, go to ravixgroup.com and tell them to think like an owner sent you. And now for some advice and observations for finance and small companies, Here's Timmy himself to share his expertise on today's Q&A. What customers get the most value from working with Ravix? I would say sort of small to medium-sized businesses, um, typically investor-backed. So both venture capital-backed or sort of search fund-backed businesses, oftentimes ones that have no professional finance layer in place, so no existing controller or accounting team, but have reporting duties. Uh, oftentimes to the investors or if they have any kind of debt to the bank. You know, we're able to really make sure that on a monthly basis, these companies are um, you know, fully equipped with financial information that helps them drive the decision-making in the business and also will you know, make sure that their investors and creditors are you know, comfortable with the direction you know, of the organization and really let the new operators or CEOs in the business focus on the, the managing the business or learning the business and not really have to spend too much time focused on financial reporting. Great. Thank you, Timmy. To learn more about Ravix Group, head to their website at ravixgroup.com and tell them to think like an owner sent you. I also want to thank our other sponsors, Hood & Strong and Oberly Risk Strategies for supporting the show. And now to the episode. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex Bridgman. I am the host of the Think Like an Owner podcast. It's a project I started in college in late 2018 during my senior year, just to meet people who run small companies. And Clayton here hired me as a result of that podcast. So I'm happy about starting all that. So Clayton and I got to know each other around actually a month after last year's SM Bash. 
So SMS and Bash last year was February. We started chatting in March. I think we just had a mutual like enjoyment and love of media and data companies. And I was pondering a media search, which in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't do because there's so much I've learned in the meantime. But the conversation today or our episode today is going to focus on acquiring within the industry, like within your industry. So Clayton acquired Housing Wire in 2016 after a traditional search and then had two other add-on media acquisitions. And then one that I was a part of last December was a data acquisition of Altus Research, who does local market housing data. So going from a media business, just doing media and publishing to now media and data. And the flywheel between the two has been exciting to dive into, but would love your side of the intro and just how we got to know each other as well. Yeah, this feels like a incredibly full circle conversation. I had listened to Alex's podcast for for several several years before we we spoke, and I, I distinctly remember about a year ago I'm at a conference with one of my investors in Boston. We're doing a, a sales training ac- activity, and Alex hits my cell says, "Hey, I'm thinking about searching for a media company to buy," and I was kind of in the middle. Of so I'm I'm seven years in since I bought my company and we've we've grown quite a bit and I've been investing more in the last several years about building the team around me to to help grow the business. We've been talking about hiring a chief of staff and Alex is asking questions about doing a search deal and looking at pretty smallish media deals and I said Alex can I can I twist your arm to join me for 24 months as chief of staff? You're going to see several acquisitions. You're going to work on sourcing. You're going to work on diligence. At the end of that time go search or stay with us up to you. But 24 months, chief of staff. And I don't think it took you but a few hours to to make that decision. Yeah, it was pretty quick. I think from you calling me out of the blue randomly as I was making lunch, offering the job to signing was, I think, eight days. So I was pretty darn excited. So you mentioned an investor encouraging you to explore the chief of staff role. It's something I'd only really heard of from like the West Wing or House of Cards. And so you hear startups talking about chief of staffs now, and now it's becoming slightly more popular within search fund-backed companies to have a chief of staff. I'd be curious your thoughts from what you've seen with peers using the chief of staff role and what the role's meant to do. Yeah. So... As our as our business has grown organically through acquisition, I've continually made decisions. I'm sure many other folks in the the ETA world make the same decisions. Every time we have excess margin or excess cash flow to invest in growth, I prioritized investing in another salesperson in our business and media, another another writer, another marketer, and really probably overly delayed building out corporate functions and overly delayed building out any support around myself to be uh to bring be more scalable as a ceo and be able to work on more projects and strategic initiatives that we needed in the business and that point that's hit me several times in the last three or four years but i always say yeah i'm not gonna can't spend the money on chief of staff can't spend the money on executive assistant can't spend the money on different different roles in our, our finance team and just always prioritize putting money resources as close to revenue as possible. But as we've kind of discovered our ability to create enterprise value through through add-on acquisitions, my ability to operate the core business, manage 50 plus team members, and work on acquisition, work on M&A was just like, I was, was killing myself. We were joking before we walked up here. I had a lot more hair when we did our first acquisition seven years ago. And, and in that time, we've not only grown the business, but I've also had had three kids. Life has happened and fully 
was in full recognition that I needed support around myself to be efficient in sourcing deals, efficient moving through diligence, efficient working with investors. And that, that was the real decision to, to start searching for a chief of staff. And um, Alex had the, you know, the right, right skill set, right interest. And uh, oddly enough, like listening to the podcast, you start to, I'm sure other people recognize this too. He has an incredible curiosity, which is an, an really important skill and a chief of staff because you need a chief of staff to ask questions and not just like not just run a playbook not just do exactly what they're told ask questions have a passion for understanding the business and push the operator push the ceo to be better and that's that's what we found here oh thank you that's kind of you a big part of my role almost from the get-go was focused on market mapping and looking at data companies and the landscape of housing data companies that we could partner with or acquire when you think about growth through acquisition, what are kind of the reasons why you might decide you know, to acquire a company as, as a growth method versus organic growth and hiring and building off of internal cash flow? I think I definitely answer this question differently now than I would have when we did our initial platform acquisition. I think the term roll up gets thrown around a lot and we we've done a couple of media deals we are far from a from a roll up play cuz each of our acquisitions has been has been incredibly strategic in either adding a new audience segment adding a new capability or adding a new client segment that we've been able to scale and cross sell against and kind of cross pollinate across the business and i think there have been some successful media rollups but they're they haven't really taken the complexion of what what I'm trying to build with with HW Media and they end up looking a lot more like media holding companies with distributed brands distributed assets teams that aren't consolidated and working together and that's not what I was seeking to build so as we built our our, stra our strategy on M&A has definitely evolved as I've kind of learned that about myself and learned about like the acquisitions that we've done this isn't like a we can't just add another portfolio company a portfolio company portfolio company we're not building a a whole co we're building a kind of a branded house media business and uh, that just that just takes a different approach and so it changes sourcing meaning that I can't just delegate deal sourcing to a corp dev team. I want to be intimately involved in identifying those transactions and opportunities and then have team members to help get rid of the finish line. You talked about kind of learning about yourself as a result of doing M&A more and more and having a banker's background as well helps yeah. with all that. How do you feel like your personality or behavior around M&A on a personal note has changed over time? So I think venturing into to ETA so my, my wife and I were, were living in New York and when we acquired Housing Wire, we moved to Dallas, Texas, where the, where the business is based. And there was a few years where the, the mindset was like, hey, we moved to Texas for a deal. All of our families in Florida will be back in Florida before we know it. And a couple, a couple things, I learned a couple things about myself. One, like I really enjoyed Texas a lot. And like we put down roots in, in Dallas and decided to, to make a home in, in Dallas. And, and two, realized that we had a bigger opportunity than thinking of this as like a, a three to five year deal where we come in, improve operations, improve sales and marketing, grow EBITDA by a couple million bucks, and then, then exit. We've, we've set bigger aspirations. And that's probably, probably the thing that's changed most about me from my mentality. I don't know if I answered your question there. Did I get that? I think you're getting it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's working. Maybe as a, a further background, can we let's walk through the three acquisitions. So beyond yeah. the housing wire, the platform acquisition, let's go through real trends, reverse mortgage daily, and then we can touch on Altos as well. Yeah. yeah. So 
We, we actually did one really small one before Real Trends, really small reverse mortgage publisher that we tucked in and, and now is part of core operations. No one ever sees the brand anymore. So I'd say successful on that front. That was the smallest one we did. We acquired a company called Real Trends in 2020, which uh, was the idea for that kind of culminated on better, starting to learn more about our audience and getting more audience intelligence on the core housing wire business. We thought we were a mortgage publisher. And as we got to know our audience better, realized that we had 30 or 40% of our audience that actually identified as real estate agents or brokers. So we saw this opportunity, hey, we're not monetizing this audience. They're coming and reading our content. We need to figure out a way to serve this audience better and monetize the business. So I started kind of market mapping the, the services and content businesses that serve the real estate agent and broker segment and met the founder of, of Real Trends. We talked for 18 months before the we actually got a deal to the finish line. And so we started in 2019. We were planning to be in person in March 2020. COVID hit, decided it wasn't the right time to do a deal because at that time in March and April of 2020, in some states, real estate agents were, were deemed non-essential services and they they shut down completely. So, right, this might not be a business we want to really jump into. But uh, after seeing how the real estate market adapted to that short period of uncertainty, we got a lot more conviction on, on real trends and moved pretty quickly in the second half of 2020. So Real Trends brought in an increased audience, but it also brought in a new data capability. We sit on the one of the largest databases of real estate broker agent and team performance information. Uh, we publish that through our own brands, but we also license it to other parties. We have a partnership with Dow Jones to publish that information in the Wall Street Journal, which has been a huge like credibility boost for a small media company in Las Colinas, Texas. So that's Real Trends. Reverse Mortgage Daily, another relationship. There's a, a media group out of Chicago that I've known for since since I acquired HousingWire, so four or five years at that point. They had a an asset that was kind of outside of their their core focus of where they were taking the business in healthcare, and got a text one Friday night like, "Hey, you want you want to talk about doing a little carve out?" And by the following Friday, we're like. Yeah, hell yeah, let's do a deal. Put out a number, got it, got it done pretty quickly. We actually got that one done the week after my second daughter was born. And I was able to like, at that point we had a COO and I, he took it to the finish line for us while I was like in the hospital and out on a very short parental leave. So that was pretty cool to see that one come together without me being like literally doing every single piece of the deal. That was the first time I like actually successfully delegated anything on like corporate strategy. Did you get baby swag for RMD as a result of it? I, man, the, the sellers missed that opportunity. They should have sent me something. No, we're still moving a little too quickly. I think we have swag down now and like we send it and we get it. But that was kind of a point, even though it was only two years ago, three years ago, that we were still running too fast and a little too small, a little too entrepreneurial to worry about celebrating things. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but there's there were reasons to make those acquisitions. They added audience, data capability, yep. maybe key team members. When you look at a prospective prospect or target or acquisition that either we get from a broker, banker, or friend, what do you look for to figure out, like, is this a real opportunity or would this be kind of a waste of our time? I mean... We're looking for successful businesses, even for tuck-ins. I don't want like turnarounds. Like I don't, I don't want to come in and fix somebody else's problem. Even if the the price is right, I think the opportunity cost that we have is 
all of us have our, our time is time is limited and like i don't want to mess around fixing somebody else's mistakes i'd rather pay a fair price and get something that's on the right trajectory that we can supercharge with with sales and marketing and better digital strategy and so so size like we get a lot of like outreach and teasers from bankers of just tiny tiny tuck-ins and and business media is is filled i'm sure you guys are on dozens of of newsletters of tiny media companies you know with you know with six figure likely six figure revenue profile and that's just it's it's too hard it's not it's not worth the time to to fight for some of those small acquisitions so that's probably been the biggest thing that i've like taken away in our acquisition strategy and we've done deals from like ranging from half a million in enterprise value to to over over 10 and i will i'll i'll Air toward the larger side every day of the week. I'd, I'd rather have to go raise capital than do small tuck-ins. Yeah. And what other ways has your bar for acquisitions increased over time beyond just size and you know not a turnaround? Like what yeah. else comes to mind? I wouldn't call this a bar, but it's an understanding of the management situation. So platform acquisition, we helped the founders transition out. CEO was with me for like all of a month. It was a crazy story, not really his fault, but he had grinded hard for a while. And like after the acquisition, really wanted to get back in shape and took a weightlifting class, like Olympic weightlifting class and dropped 225 pounds on his right foot, like two weeks after the transaction. And this is before we were like on Zoom and Slack all day long. <laughs> the doctor told him he wanted him to be in bed with his foot elevated above his heart for like four months. I was like, well, Give me the keys and I'll see you later. And that was that was kind of how that transition worked. His co-founder did stay with me for nine months. That was good. But we knew what we were getting into. We knew that was a management transition situation. Our our next two tuck-ins were retiring owner and carve out. So like we knew we were not getting management on on either of those. And so at that point in time, up until December of this year, when we acquired Altos, all of the deals that we had done were through the lens of management transition, knowing that I had to lead the business, our team had to lead the business post-acquisition. This latest deal that Alex was part of the diligence and deal process and now has aligned himself inside of the business, helping build our sales structure, the founders stayed around because we wanted them. We recruited an amazing, like we, we pursued the deal in a big part because of the founder. And he's running that business as a business unit inside of our company. And he carries the title of president of that business unit. And that's been a wildly different dynamic, a great one nonetheless, but a wildly different dynamic of doing founder transition or, or carve out versus like keeping a founder around in the business with, this, with, with a significant piece of skin in the game. So I wouldn't say that's something I screen for, but something I want to understand fully up front. I wouldn't want to continue an M&A strategy where we attempted to keep every founder around. That would just, that'd be noisy and probably like not built not be the bright management team for what we're trying to do but situationally like this situation with altos incredibly important component yeah certainly it certainly makes sense for someone like mike to join the team and, yep. and stay on full-time and longer term obviously like the founder may not always stay on but the team itself that you, from the business you're acquiring is going to come over yeah. how do you evaluate that team before acquisition to figure out is this going to be a a team that fits culturally with us so they can have the, the entrepreneurship and speed that we're looking for as a more ambitious company. How do you figure that out? So, I mean, since 
since we are running a, a business in, a, in an acquisition strategy in a tight vertical, like we are housing news and information, we're not doing any deals of companies I don't already know. So like what we were able to do uniquely with Altos and Mike and his team, like I know Mike for six years now, like I reached out to him like, like several times over the years. Um, we, we had him join Housing Wire as a contributing writer. So he was like already like blogging for us and contributing content and our, our team started using their data product. So like I got a kind of a full glimpse into like what he was about, his style, the team's style before we were in acquisition talks. And I, I think that's a like that's something I don't I can't say was 100 percent strategic. Like some of it was just like fortuitous. But that is a thousand percent a strategy I'm going to carry forward is look for ways to do business or partner with the companies that we intend to inquire down the road at, at an earlier stage. And that doesn't work like out the gate and search. I couldn't have done that in 2016 and we acquired housing wire but now that i have a platform and i'm building in a vertical like there's no excuse to be meeting somebody for the first time when we're going to talk about deal conversations yeah you're kind of talking about it already but the three businesses we've acquired so far were all originated from personal relationships you've gotten yep. to know the the founder through some way being in the industry when you think about building future relationships like that with any prospective future acquisition, what activities are required or necessary to keep building those relationships? How do you spend your time at the conferences? Are those valuable going on podcasts? How do you kind of get yourself out there to catch those serendipitous new relationships? The, the podcast is funny. So I also host a podcast. Mine's called Housing News. And it is like, there is no like C-suite executive who like turns down an invitation to like go on a podcast and talk about like their expertise and company. And so like the podcasts are incredible door openers that I've built a lot of relationships by having guests on our housing news podcast. It's great content, but it's also an awesome networking tool for me. So like that's that's an interesting point to bring up. O outside of like industry involvement, like I'm, I'm involved in our mortgage bankers association, like get to know like other operators and acquisition and partners. But I mean, that's not even the main motivation. Most of it is biz dev. Like we're still running a business. I need to sell and like see my, see our clients. So like industry involvement matters from that perspective, but can carry over into, into deal sourcing and M&A. But outside of that, getting involved in like other e executive organizations like YPO and EO have like been like door openers and like they, they help you get to know people in, in related areas and improve our, my network in Dallas, which to me is kind of a adopted hometown. So I look for other opportunities like that. So if we take all of these thoughts and ideas around doing acquisitions well, how would you design a train wreck, a complete disaster acquisition that would go horribly wrong almost instantaneously? What, what would that look like? How would you avoid something like that? Okay. I think there's like two different two different train wrecks that can happen. And I'm the last panel that was up here, there was a lot of talk about leading a team and leadership. And like that's probably one of the, like, the most overlooked components of early stages of ETA. And I think the skill set of identifying an acquisition, closing an acquisition, and successfully leading a company are like very different skill sets. And if you don't understand that you're coming in on day one and you have a seller that's going to like bring the team together, either in person or on Zoom, and say like, team, it's been so wonderful working with you for the last 14 years. Please meet Alex. He's now the owner of your company and your new CEO. You report to him now. And there's, they're not scared to death. Like You're fooling yourself. Like the, Keeping the confidence of employees as you transition into leadership, I think is one of the most important and under-discussed components of 
platform ETA, and tuck-ins. So we become really strategic about how we announce acquisitions, how we integrate team members in the organization, how we move them onto our benefits plans, and like be 100% certain you cannot make their benefits or comp anything less than it was before. So we kind of keep having to like get better and better in, in, way, in, in retention and making sure that when we bring people into the organization that they stick around and they're happy about it and they're not just there quiet quitting or whatever like the phrase of the phrase of the moment is. So train wreck would be not being prepared to lead the organization that you're stepping into and having heavy attrition in important roles in the organization. So sales, client success, product, like whatever, whatever the company, whatever the company does. So like I'm constantly thinking about how do we avoid an HR and people strategy train wreck on, on an acquisition. And in the deals that I've invested in a, a few search deals, and like that's the biggest thing that I talk to searchers and and new, new CEOs about is like their their leadership style and ensuring that teams are confident in their leadership ability and they're not leading them into unemployment of some kind, some way. The, the second would be the second train wreck I would say like is not being honest with yourself about what you want out of out of entrepreneurship. And I, I think I was pretty good about defining this to myself early on, but like in like now, seven years in, I know that I'd never wanted to acquire a, a job. I, I was looking success to me looks like being a CEO that can focus on capital allocation. Think about, all right, so we have excess cash. Are we doing dividends? Are we doing acquisitions? Are we investing in organic growth? And then having a team that can execute on those strategies. And that's what I want. That's like, that's what makes me happy. I want to I'm super involved with the business, involved with day to day. But if, like, if I actually get to drop all responsibilities and think about capital allocation all day long, then I'm a happy, happy guy. And so a train wreck for me would be acquiring an incredibly small business that required me to wear 10 hats for five years and the opportunity cost of not being able to focus on growth, but because I'm too focused on managing dumpster fires with HR or upset clients or trying to track down receivables. Like I want a business that has the scale to hire a VP of finance, a VP of HR, and a VP of sales very soon. And if I made any mistakes, even on our platform deal, HousingWire was a pretty small business. It was sub 5 million in revenue, um, 14 employees when I joined. I spent a lot of time doing functions that I wasn't the most prepared to do. And probably wasted a few years like building out, trying to be an HR expert, trying to be an IT expert, trying to build a sales function where if we had, I, I should have invested faster into having those that VP level talent. So for me, a train wreck would be not having enough EBITDA, not having enough seller discretionary earnings to surround myself with a management team in the first 12 to 24 months. A lot of other panels today have also talked about SBA debt and like higher amounts of leverage as part of a deal. None of the deals that you've done so far yeah. have have used debt to a massive to that degree. No, I, I levered it. I levered it three times out out the gate. Not SBA, but con conventional financing. So wait, how how has your debt thinking evolved then? Because there's uh, like with Altos, it, that wasn't a major component for us in that deal, and there's that's certainly one of the larger yeah. ones that we've done. I, that's another part of being honest with yourself, like what you want out of a deal. So like. I've learned I, I can run a business at a certain margin profile and grow it at a at a certain growth rate that's that's lower. So like I mean I've like been involved in businesses that run at forty percent margin profile, but you're you're running so damn lean you can't grow more than like five or ten percent. So you just can't allocate resources into into marketing and sales. 
And I'm learning now that I can run at a slightly lower margin profile and grow at a lot faster rate. And the limiting factor of which if you want to be able to choose between those two scenarios as an operator is debt. Can you afford to spend down even to make important hires and invest in sales and marketing? So, yeah. Yeah. Any last pieces of advice for CEOs who want to acquire in their industry and are looking for ways to improve or build a repeatable process to do so? Yeah. I. Someone asked me earlier, so I did a tradi- traditional like funded search. And like, so there's like plenty of like events of like the Stanford GSB, like search model events in that community. And there's, there's, there's this community that has a little bit of a different, different flavor and asked me like why I'm here versus there. And I've stopped defining myself as a searcher and like started defining myself as a, an operator of a, a media company in the housing industry and a data entrepreneur in the, in the housing industry. And that self-definition that that's mo- most of that's like in in my head but when you talk to people whether they're clients prospects potential acquisition targets nobody gives a damn that you run a search fund nobody gives a damn that you like know about sba they care that you're good at the, the trade that you're in and if you there's a point where you just got to shed that like eta exterior and be like the operator in the business that you're in and that's like shedding that like self-definition that no one else ever gave a damn about but i did was probably one of the the more influential points in being able to influence outcomes with with organic growth with new clients and like how people perceive me in the vertical that I operate in and with acquisition targets like it's confusing as hell for like a someone who you're like tucking into your business to like want to understand the search fund model and like googles it and reads the primer like that's they don't need to know that. They need to know that you run a successful business in the vertical that you operate in. So like self-definition was like probably a major turning point for me. So you asked me to frame that in the message of like advice, how you position yourself, how you tell your story, I think is incredibly important as a searcher and as an operator at any stage, whether you're six months or six years or 16 years in. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Think Like an Owner. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review and telling a friend to help more folks find Think Like an Owner. I also want to thank our show's sponsors, Hood & Strong, Oberly Risk Strategies, and Ravix Group for supporting the podcast. For full episode transcripts in our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at tlaopodcast.com. 